Tab in the Keg Daily is live for Thursday. It is January 25th. We're going to talk about Joe Barry not having a job and the Packers timeline forced him out. We'll discuss that. We'll talk a little bit about Doc Rivers becoming official. We did that yesterday. You can go listen if you missed it. And then we'll do a tap list for the Bucks win over the Cleveland Cavaliers. We're going to grade the Marquette game against the Paul. Uh, and that will be today's show. Uh, before we get going, social media, tapping the keg on X slash Twitter. Uh, thanks for a couple new follows uh, the last day. Uh, we also are on Instagram. We are on TikTok. We are on Facebook, tapping the keg sports there. TikTok, we had a bunch of follows as well. Our Joe Barry video uh, did very well. So uh, make sure that you guys are plugged in on all the social media platforms. Uh, we'd love to have you there. Uh, and also, uh, you might have saw it on X, but if you didn't, I'll post this on my Twitter or uh, my Instagram as well. Uh, I am going to be uh, a media caster for PSF, uh, Pro Sports Fans app. You can download it. Uh, I believe they have Apple, Android. It is a Manning cast style uh, where we'll be live streaming games and we'll be sort of commentating over uh, what's going on and I'm doing it for Marquette. Uh, I don't know when my first game is. Um, I think I'm gonna probably do the Villanova game next Tuesday night um, and looking forward to that. And yes, you can watch me kind of watch the game. Uh, there is a delay, I have YouTube TV, uh, so that might be tough. Uh, but that we'll, we'll work on that, we'll figure that out. I'm not, I'm not too worried, but I'm really excited uh, to do this, uh, to get my name out there. Uh, I will admit I'm a little uncomfortable with people watching me um, watch games, but as my wife says, you know, there's no growth in the comfort zone. Might be cliche, but it's true. And so like, yeah, let's do it. Let's do something different. And yeah, if you're, so if you're a Marquette fan, if you want to support it, we do have that. I will uh, link out uh, to the app and to that announcement uh, soon, uh, somewhere on Instagram. So for those who weren't following, or maybe that might even be a good Instagram post. So anyways, very excited to kick this off with PSF. Uh, we'll let you know when the, next, the first media cast is uh, so you guys can uh, watch and hang out with us. All right, if you also uh, are not subscribed to the podcast, I know I'm asking a lot, but Apple, Spotify, uh, if you're new here, uh, we do podcasts four days a week. We did five this week because of all the news that happened here in Wisconsin sports, and that's what we'll do. Um, we're gonna do four as the minimum, but if we need to pop on for a fifth show, we are gonna do that, so make sure you're subscribed. We're also on other podcast platforms. Uh, if you aren't an Apple or Spotify user. So make sure you're there. If you're already plugged in, you know what to do. Make sure you're, you're sending this along. Make sure you're getting more people a part of the Tapping the Keg Sports family. All right, let's talk about Joe Barry. Wisconsin sports fans hit bingo on Wednesday morning. Joe Barry doesn't have a job. He gets fired. Uh, it continues this absolutely crazy week of Wisconsin sports. As my guy Eric said on, on X, Joe Barry's fired. Brewers are signing guys. Adrian Griffin's gone. Our pets' heads are falling out. Like, it's been an absolutely absurd week. It has been the craziest week probably since the Bucs won the title. When the Bucs won the title and then Aaron Rodgers came out and blasted uh, Green Bay Packer management. That was sort of the last time 
that things have been sort of this harebrained and just news just coming out of everywhere. And Joe Barry was the latest. And Joe Barry gets fired. Uh, the Green Bay Packers move on. And something that I think certain Packer fans worried that Joe Barry would not necessarily leave, that Joe Barry would still find a way to be the defensive coordinator given his relationship with Matt LaFleur. And we talked at great length uh, earlier this year that Matt LaFleur could find himself on the hot seat if he didn't step up and get rid of Joe Barry. Now, we do not know if this is a mutual decision by Brian Gunacoust and Matt LaFleur, and this was a decision made by both of them, if this was a decision just made by LaFleur. Uh, but it, regardless, credit to the Packers for seeing that they could be better defensively. And I think when you look at the traditional metrics, and the Packers were 10th, I believe, in points allowed, uh, so really did kind of have a bend, don't break defense all season. But when you looked at the, the advanced metrics, the EPAs, the DVOAs of the world, the, the Packers were among the worst. And so I think that that's a correlation, honestly, because it just shows you like, okay, if we were actually better at the little things, if we were better at the details, this could be a dominant defense. This defense could be a top five defense. And they could actually, you know, play complimentary football with that offense. And it, it just was time for a new voice in that side of the ball. And with all of the stuff that happened with Jair Alexander, uh, with just sort of the Devondre Campbell weirdness, and then on top of all the young guys they have on that defense, it was probably the right time to start looking at a new voice. And we're not going to necessarily get into those new voices and what that new voice will look like. But I, I well, we could, we could maybe talk about it at, at the end here. But I think what's really important to focus on is the fact that the timeline of the Packers got Joe Barry fired. And I'm going to keep saying that. I said that a little bit on, I think it was Tuesday's show, uh, that the Packers' success might lead to Joe Barry leaving. And it's exactly what happened. And I don't think it's a secret that Mark Murphy would want a Super Bowl this year. I know you're like, Charlie, Mark Murphy wants a Super Bowl every year. I think the Packers are going to be more aggressive because Mark Murphy's in his last year as Packers chairman. The Packers have the draft next year. There would be nothing better than Green Bay to be the Super Bowl champion and that Mark Murphy goes out a winner. Rob, Bob Harlan could not say that. Bob Harlan did not get that luxury. Uh, and the Green Bay Packers have that opportunity. That window has opened up. Instead of that window slightly cracking, instead of that window you know, being sort of there and the Packers being around the window, they've opened that motherfucker. Like that thing is open. And so because of that, like I think the Green Bay Packers are not fucking around. I think the Green Bay Packers are showing themselves as like, we know that this is our time and that this is our moment. And they are seizing the opportunity. And you saw the news with Chris Gizzi, uh, the strength and conditioning coach who's been there forever, former Packer. The Packers fire him. They get rid of him. Now, there's been a lot of talk about the hamstrings and the soft tissues. And Lafleur, you know, talked about how Stokes and Watson are both going to go to Madison to get looked at by their medical people to see, like, what's going on there. Like, he's had enough with you know all the soft tissue issues that the Packers have suffered with. 
Um, so you have that angle as well. They brought in a kicker uh, who didn't necessarily have a great last year at Georgia. Didn't play all last year. So like, let's not get too excited about this kicker. But they still brought one in to be like, hey, you're not safe, Anders. Like, this is not, you're not going to get, you know, sort of the, like, the kowtow. We're not kowtowing to you. We are going to try to figure out this kicking situation. We're going to try to figure out the soft tissue situation. We're going to try to figure out this defense. So the Packers, you know, getting after this two days after the season is kind of unheard of. Like, usually you see, you know, sort of a delay, right? You see teams sort of wait it out, feel it out, and kind of take their time and sort of get a temperature check of what's going on and what is, you know, the next steps. And I think you're seeing a well-connected, well-oiled machine out of the Green Bay Packers. Look at the Miami Dolphins, for example. The Miami Dolphins decided to part ways with Vic Fangio, which is very interesting, uh, yesterday. The Dolphins have been eliminated from the playoffs for two Saturdays. They've had a ton of fucking time to decide about Vic Fangio. And it wasn't swift. Even the Eagles, who I mentioned, because remember, I was like, this is gonna, this might take time. Like, this might not be something we know right away. And the Eagles took a, a week and a half. The Packers are like, no, fuck it. We are going. We are hitting the ground running. And so I think that that really is encouraging for many Packer fans. Now, you can get fooled by this a little bit. I, I will say this is, I'm kind of putting my Mitch hat on a day early. Uh, Mitch will be on with us tomorrow for, I think, 538. And he'll tell you, slow down. Like, this could still be the Packers. They could still not sign anybody. They could still, you know, draft, you know, not necessarily the, the position that everybody wants. And they could still do Packers-type things or hire a defensive coordinator that really nobody wants. Um, yes, those things can certainly happen. And so, yes, maybe I do need to settle down a little bit. But I, I think there should be a lot of optimism that they made this move, they made it so quickly, and that they are hitting the ground running. And I think we've all seen the writing on the wall with Joe Barry. I think he did a decent job this year. I think it was actually, weirdly, a better job this year than it was last year because I think you needed the defense more with Rodgers struggling and Joe Barry could not help. And that was, I think, the frustration. But the Packers looked and saw what they had they realize that, hey, we are we're good and we need to be better defensively. And if we are better defensively, we could be a rocket ship and we could be a 12-win, 13-win football team. And I, I think that that is, you know, in the Packers' front view and they want to win a bunch of football games here. And I'm, I'm excited. I, I think that in terms of next steps, in terms of what Green Bay looks at, they were very thorough in their interview process last time. Uh, they interviewed nine people. Um, they looked at guys who ended up becoming defensive coordinators later on. So they, at that site, maybe even more frustrated. Uh, Reja Evo, uh, whose name I, I butcher every time, obviously from Carolina. Uh, you had Matt Burke, who ended up being the Houston defensive coordinator. He was the Philly line coach uh, at that time. Uh, they also Ryan, interviewed Ryan Nielsen. Uh, Ryan Nielsen was a hot name, actually, this cycle. Uh, went to the Jacksonville Jaguars. 
Uh, and I'm trying to think. I think there was one more that they had they had talked to where it was like, oh, they ended up being good. But like the the Packers definitely have a have sort of a good eye. Like this is not a a bad eye. It doesn't seem like Brandon Staley is going to be involved here, uh, which was a lot of people's worry because Staley plays a very similar defense to what Joe Barry Joe Barry has done. It seems like Staley is not going to be necessarily a part of this mix. Um, and that's encouraging. Jim Leonard, I I think that is a you know pipe dream for the Pinheads. Uh, let's just let's just call it that. I know he was close the last time, but I just I don't see it. Like he had he plays a Mike Patton style that Matt Lafleur did not necessarily like, and I just don't see Jimmy Leonard being the guy. Um, I'd be really surprised if it actually is Jim Leonard. Uh, I I think the Johnny Holland idea is interesting. Former Packer who is the run game coordinator right now for the San Francisco 49ers. But I also have hesitation about a run game guy because even though the Packers have struggled on run defense, it's still about figuring out how to stop all the elite passers in the NFL. I don't think you necessarily have to worry about getting gas. I like, you got to worry about everything. But I think to focus on how do you stop, you know, some of the top tier quarterbacks in the league is the difference between Super Bowls and not making it. I think a phone call to Jesse Minter definitely is is worth your time. And he has no connections to the Packers. Uh, he was a Ravens guy. He's the Michigan DC. He's he I think will get looked at as a head coach potentially for Michigan. Uh, as Jim Harbaugh leaves for the Los Angeles Chargers, I think the Chargers are going to try to bring in Jesse Minter to be their DC. Um, he he doesn't have any Midwest ties, unfortunately. He's coached up here a bunch, like he was Indiana State's, I think DC. He was worked at Notre Dame. Uh, I think he might even worked at Cincinnati. But like he, but he hasn't necessarily. He's from Little Rock, Arkansas. So there's no like. Midwest connection where you're like, oh, maybe he wants to stay in the Midwest. He probably doesn't give a shit um, unless he really likes it. And then the Packers, you know, reach out. And I think that would be a huge coup. I think he he could be, he was a Ravens uh, defensive backs coach. Um, he had just played a great defense, you know, at the top tier of college football. And I don't think he is just the college coordinator. I think he is definitely ready for the NFL. So the Packers obviously have Chris Harris, another guy for the Titans that has been mentioned, uh, was the the defensive or was pass game coordinator uh, for them. So like there are options, there are a lot of options on the table, and I think you know whatever the Packers prioritize, they they need to make sure that it is the best of the best because as we've said, the timeline is here, the timeline is here, the moment is now. And Joe Barry getting fired is is as big of a signal that the, and Gizzy and the and the kicker that this window is open and we're not here to fuck around. You might be, but they are not. And I cannot wait for this off season. All right, let's move on. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about the Doc Rivers hiring. I know I will probably do a lot on Doc uh, before tomorrow. And I, so I don't want to spend entirely too much time before we dive into the Bucs and their win against the Cleveland Cavaliers. But I, I will just note on the Doc Rivers hiring, which also happened yesterday officially, uh, it, it is one that I, it's going to be expensive. Apparently it's a lucrative deal. Uh, the deal uh, details have not been made clear. 
John Horst met with the media, did not talk about uh, Doc Rivers at all. Uh, it was really about Adrian Griffin and why they decided to make a change. Uh, and the Bucks, you know, Giannis sort of skirted around, you know, some of the Adrian Griffin stuff, uh, which we'll talk about here in the tap list. Uh, but like, I think in general, uh, it's the best that the Bucks could do at this time. I don't think that I am, yeah, I think Doc Rivers was a guy that I did not want last summer. Um, there are podcasts, there is evidence that tells you that. Um, I think that there is a lot of boot holzer with Doc Rivers that he doesn't make adjustments. He doesn't, he gets out coached pretty easily. Um, but I also think that this is probably the best team that Doc has had, you know, in terms of just guys who are well-connected and have one vision since his Celtics teams, since Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce. And while Bill Simmons had some ridiculous commentary, the Terry Rozier 80% was maybe to eat, well, for, if you don't know, um, I, I'll add in. Bill pointed out that Terry Rozier is 80% of Damian Lillard, which is just fucking ridiculous. Um, I, and like, Bill should just say like, hey, I'm a Celtics fan. Like I, he discredits the box because he's a Celtics fan. And, and that's okay. Like I discredit the Celtics too. And I'm, and I'm a Bucks fan. And so it's, it works both ways. But anyways, that was a ludicrous comment. But he did have a good comment about why Doc Rivers might want to come back. Because my whole thing, and I, I dismissed Doc Rivers, you know, in November and December because I was like, what, like, is he really going to go to Milwaukee? He's, a, he's an avid golfer. He's like in LA, he's, you know, hanging out with Al Michaels and Larry David and just fucking living the life and just working a couple days a week here and there. And, and why would he come back? Why would he go to the cold of Milwaukee? And I, I think really, as Bill pointed out, he wants revenge. Philadelphia is playing well. They, they aren't, they are little work, just a touch worse than the Bucks, but he wants revenge on the Sixers. He wants to say like, hey, look, like I think that I was better than what the Sixers did for me. I wanna kind of prove them wrong. I, oh, there's an opportunity to beat up the Celtics, great. Like, I can still stick it to Boston. I can still stick it to the Clippers, who might, you might see in the finals. Clippers, to me, are the best team right now in the Western Conference. I think Denver is really good, but I just, I, the, the back-to-back is really hard. And it, you see it every year where got, they just kind of, you just kind of run out of steam. It's rare, we have not seen a team get to back to the finals a second straight year since the Warriors teams you know, of the like mid 2000s. There have been different teams, you know, as you know, post COVID that has kind of been a thing. So anyways, that that opportunity for Doc is there to just have this revenge tour and sort of, you know, have this chip on your shoulder and, you know, have this ability to coach Giannis, to coach Dame, but to also sort of rewrite the narrative about him as a coach. He knows that, that people consider him a playoff choker. He knows that people, you know, talk about how he can't get out of the second round. There, it's all right there for Doc Rivers. And so Doc can kind of re sort of write all of this stuff and all the noise. And I think that that opportunity is too much to pass up. And Doc's going to try to 
to do this. And my theory is that he's going to start coaching on this West Coast trip that the Bucks are taking and that they're in Denver on Monday night. I think that that would give Doc as they, they have... You know, they haven't necessarily made it official on the social media platforms. I, I could see that being a Friday news dump. Um, and when they do, I think then they'll have the date on when Doc is starting. Um, and I think Phoenix would make, or uh, sorry, Denver would make a ton of sense being that Doc's a West Coast guy. Easy travel, get him up there, big game, kind of one that you want, you know, your shit together. Now, Joe Prunty, uh, the Prunt dog who will, uh, mentioned, yeah, I, I don't mind Prunt Dog. I think Prunt Dog could could handle himself, and Prunt Dog could necessarily be all right here. But I, I have pointed out that it might be time for Doc in that Denver series. The other one that I could see is Dallas on Saturday night, uh, February third. The Bucks have two days off uh, prior to that game against the Mavericks. Then they have a back to back going Dallas to Utah uh, before then going to Phoenix, That which is a brutal fucking, they have a brutal stretch here coming up, which is like five, they have five games in seven nights, uh, which is just rough um, and not not what you want right before right before the uh, the all-star break. Or I'm sorry, the tra- trail all-star break slash trade deadline. Um, it, it's definitely not what you want. But I, I think that it's, they are going to want to get Doc in there, Doc to evaluate, filter it to horse and say like, yeah, these guys work with my system. These guys don't like, here's who you can move. Here's who you can't. Like, I think they'll be very, very well connected in terms of finding a, the, a assistant coach group, you know, that'll help. Um, I, I think that they should keep some of the guys, um, but they also should add guys like a Dave Yeager has been a name that's been mentioned that is out, out of work right now. Will Dave Yeager just say, strap it up and be like, all right, yeah, let's, let's go coach. Let's go, let's go do this. Um, but yeah, it, it'll be very interesting to see when the doc date starts. My vote would be Denver, um, but I could also see him waiting till you know that Portland game and then Dallas and sort of getting there. Portland's on ESPN, so you have the Dame sort of return, but then you add Doc Rivers into the mix. Maybe you know Doc, a, a guy who definitely doesn't shy away from the media. Uh, potentially will, you know, do that. So, yeah, I, I think that there is going to be, there is there is a lot of, you know, sort of wh- when it starts, when does it kick off? But it was very encouraging game one uh, for the Milwaukee Bucks. And let's talk about that now with the tap list. So if you guys missed, I think I did it on Monday's show. Uh, it's been so long. Uh, you know, Tuesday's show, I introduced... The tap list were basically, it would be what's on tap. Like, what what are we talking about? Like, the taps are different sort of things that have happened from the game. Whether it is, you know, different guys who scored, you know, top players, things like that. Or things to definitely discuss and what, you know, sort of happened in the Bucks win over the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, and number one is the Bucks are a hilarious basketball team. The Bucs haven't really shown a ton of energy and effort for the last month. It's been miserable watching the Bucs. We talked about it on Monday and Tuesday's show about how just unfun the Milwaukee Bucks are. Going from the Packers to the Bucs was really tough. Guess what? The Bucs are fun again. The Bucs do this dance before the game that becomes a meme. Uh, they play with as much energy and effort that really I've seen since game one. 
Uh, it was incredible to watch. It was incredible to just see a team who clearly did not want to play for their coach for the last month. Um, and this was sort of a, a sign of it. And they come out absolutely firing. They hold Cleveland to under 30 points in the first quarter. Um, and they they were just, they played so much better basketball. This was so much more fun to watch than really probably, the, it's the most enjoyable game since Boston. Um, it also is, but I, I think it's better than that because this isn't a team coming off a of back-to-back. This isn't a team who is playing poorly. I don't know that Boston was, but like, this is a Cleveland team that has been dominating teams, that has won eight straight games, that had a net rating of 105, or like 104, tops in the NBA, and the Bucs absolutely kicked the shit out of them. And I know it's like 10 points, but it was not, like they were up by 18 or 19 at one point. They played really strong basketball and they just seemed more connected. They seemed like they had just a different energy and a different bounce in their step. And they, they, they liked basketball again. I, I think there were so many games in the last month where it's like, Do these fucking guys even want to be here? And, and, and it didn't look like it. And so to go from that to now this, it's just, it's such a eye opener. It's such something that you just see with your own two eyes. And they certainly showed their hands, if you will. They showed their hands of like, this is definitely like, this was an issue. And I, I think that kind of goes into the second tap. Like, this is why Adrian Griffin had to go. Like, this is right here. And credit to John Horst for seeing it, for not trying to make it work. He just said, you know what? We have a championship roster. We have Damian Lillard. We are not going to squander away this season. And with the stretch of games that the Bucks have coming up, as it's been pointed out on socials, but it's worth, I think, noting, it wouldn't be a surprise to me. Bucks are 31 and 13. It would not be a surprise to me if they don't have a similar record with Doc Rivers because they have a really hard schedule. The schedule is really difficult for the next two months for the Bucks, And so if they, you know, kind of take a step back, they're a little bit under 500, I don't think anybody's going to be surprised. I will kind of argue my, with myself, the Bucks have played the best this year against top competition. Like they still show up for those games. The games the Bucks have cared about have been those big games. So that to me is still, you know, there. And I think that still is, under sort of quote-unquote observation to see like, okay, Port well, let's show up for that Portland game. I'm trying to think when the next time really where the Bucks could have a sort of old Bucks, you know, moment might be that Charlotte game, you know, on a few Fridays, but that also is game five of seven. And so maybe you don't even see Giannis Antetokounmpo in that game or you don't see Dame or whatever. I, I, I think though, the Milwaukee Bucks, you know, they they clearly had it's ran its course, and they just really did not like Adrian Griffin and whatever happened behind the scenes, and it it was way worse than maybe even we knew, and they just and he just did not know what he was doing in terms of a you know style and thematic, and I think he sold the Bucks a bill of goods. I think the Bucks were trying their best to move off of Nick Nurse. 
They had some concerns that maybe Kenny Atkinson would be too close to Nurse. And they just were like, all right, we gotta, we kind of want to go outside the box here. We think we can make this work. And John Horse immediately admit, admitted he was wrong. And I think that's a huge part of John Horse's career. John Horse pulls the plug. I, and I don't even think it's fast. He just knows, like, all right, we got to get rid of a guy, gone. DJ Augustin, gone. Adrian Griffin, gone. Like, he pulls the plug, I think, better than any GM that we have really in Wisconsin. And so I, I credit, you know, Horse for that. And yeah, this, I mean, th this was as much of damning evidence of just how the Bucks were playing at 75% really for the last month. Number three on the tab list, Giannis with another triple-double. His hot streak continues. Antetokounmpo has been just incredible uh, in the last few games. Uh, 35 points for Giannis, 18 boards, 10 assists. Uh, he he made it. He also did it without shooting a ton of free throws. He only shot three free throws in the game, which was odd. Uh, he did make one the one three he did have. But what a night for Antetokounmpo, and he keeps stacking up these games. Uh, we talked about how his assist total is the highest of his of his career, but this stretch for Giannis has been truly special uh, since that sack. Well. Since the Golden State game, he's had 30 plus, or no, he didn't have 30 plus. The Sacramento game actually ruined it. So let's start with the Sacramento game. Sacramento game, 27, 10, and 10, triple double. Uh, Detroit, 31, 10, and 9, near triple double. Then against Detroit, 31, 17, and 10, triple double. And then the Cleveland game, a triple double. Now, triple doubles have been probably a little bit inflated because of Jokic, because of Westbrook. But, and the and just the offense. There's more opportunities to score, right? But the fact that Giannis has had three out of the last four games as triple-doubles, the fact the last one, he was one away from a triple-double, Giannis needs to be in the MVP discussion. It needs to be up there. And I do wonder, not that, I don't know how much it matters, but Doc Rivers, remember, openly campaigned for Joel Embiid and annoyed some of us. I think Doc's gonna do the same for Giannis. And I think Giannis deserves, you know, this season for Antetokounmpo might be his best yet. Like, I, I know that that is sort of weird just with all the drama and all the bullshit, but Giannis has been fucking incredible. And he continues to play well. He also didn't necessarily have to play the full allotment of minutes. He only played 39 minutes, 35 minutes, which was the least amount of minutes he's played since that Boston blowout, which is also important because right now he's averaging 36.4 in the month of January, which is the highest it's he has been all season. So to get Giannis a little bit of a breather, I think is important. And, but yeah, I mean, this was a great Giannis game, like just excellent stuff from Antetokounmpo, and it, and it, it's a, he's an MVP right now. Um, I realize Embiid's having a great year, and Embiid certainly will have a case for back-to-back, -back, but I, I really just love what I've seen from Antetokounmpo all, all year long. Uh, number four, Buck stats you should know. This is from my guy, Alicia uh, Twerksy, who had this uh, yesterday, he had a couple things. Make of it what you will, but tonight is the first time the Bucks outperform their opponent in these categories. Rebounds, offensive rebounds, steals, blocks, turnovers. That is a wild stat. That is like, 
<laughs> it's it's all the effort stats. It's all the hustle stats. The the Bucks just were not hustling with Griffin. They they just did not care. And that it's so like it's a weirdly frustrating thing, but it also just shows you like how incompetent things were and how the Bucks just tuned it out and how the defense that was playing, you know, it didn't let you know, this happened for Milwaukee. And so I, I really like it. Uh, I really love that that stat. I also, he also had another stat that this was the, fir- the only the third time since November the Bucks had held their opponents to under 30 points in the first two quarters. Like, this is all stuff where it's like, this team had this potential. And again, this is why Adrian Griffin had to go. Also, this was about as engaged as I've seen Brooke Lopez uh, Brooke Lopez was a guy who I think we all were like, oh, should Brooke Lopez get traded? No, Brooke Lopez was just checked out. Like Brooke Lopez just did not want to really, you know, work with Adrian Griffin. He ended up having nine rebounds in this game uh, tonight and he had eight points, but it, more of the five offensive rebounds. Brooke Lopez, absolute savage on the glass. The Bucks have had issues with rebounding all year long. All of a sudden, Brooke Lopez, five offensive rebounds tonight. Uh, the Bucks had, you know, Two or more out of Giannis, Middleton, and Lopez. Middleton also had a great game. Uh, and I, I felt like Middleton's been having a really strong June, uh, January. Excuse me. Uh, I'm thinking about June already with Larry O. Uh, but no, I, I think Middleton's been really, really solid. And he continued sort of that. But yeah, Broken Dame looked very much reengaged. Uh, and yeah, the, the fact the Bucks, you know, did all of that is, is truly great. And definitely, you know, a sign of things to come here. Number five, uh, the Bucks bench still kind of didn't show up. Uh, they're still, that's still there. Um, I will say campaign played well. Um, campaign was kind of buried on the bench. I haven't really been a huge campaign fan, but the way that, you know, Prunty rotated campaign in today, you know, worked. And I, I think that that's good. Um, I think that campaign can still have some minutes here and there. Uh, I think he's a very frustrating player, but he just needs to be in doses. He can't be out there for too long. You can't, you know, kind of let campaign cook. You just have to sort of pull it out when it makes sense, right? It's not necessarily something that is a, you know, a five or 10 minute stretch with just campaign. Uh, Pat Content also had a couple, couple big shots, but he can't guard anybody. Um, he got torched by Sam Merrill uh, in that first half. Uh, that was pretty bad. Bob Portis got taken to school by the minivan, George George Niang, uh, who has, you know, the ideal male body type uh, for an NBA player. Uh, so yeah, I mean, there were still some issues with this bench, man, but it was it was a little bit better. Uh, let's just let's just call it that. It was, it was a little improved from what we saw in Detroit. Uh, number six, uh, defense also a little bit shaky at times. But did, did enough, right? Uh, second half, you know, Cleveland made some adjustments. They got some open looks. You know, they, they brought it close. I think at one point, it might even got down to like six. Uh, the Bucks were only up by six at one point. And then they pulled away and were able able to win this game. But yeah, they're, they're still, you know, that's a work in progress. I think that you have to kind of unwind a lot of the things that went wrong here this season. I think, you know, with practice, with time, you know, they'll kind of get back to it. I wouldn't be surprised if they're really running Bud's defense until Doc gets in there. Um, I, who knows where, where that conversation is going. But now that the Bucks have an, another day, another look at Cleveland, you know, now kind of the new era. And we'll see kind of what we see on Friday uh, defensively. Other things to note. 
Uh, the Joe Prunty memes are incredible. Uh, Prunt Dog, as it's being he's being called on uh, X, uh, it's great. Uh, I, Joe Prunty is the man. Uh, the, the way the guy talks, like he was just talking at a mile a minute after like the post game presser, and it's like I really do think if you get that guy with like six Miller lights in him, he'll tell you everything. You'll you'll learn all the stories. Like he just he seems like that kind of dude. Uh, and then no Andre Jackson Jr. was a little sad. Um, I don't know what that was. I don't know if that was matchup dependent, uh, but we'll, we'll certainly have to see if uh, Ajax gets the minutes back uh, because that was that was unfortunate. Also, I, I think it was pointed out by my guy Dubes that maybe it's showcase. Maybe we're trying to you know increase campaign and content's trade value, and we know Jackson Jr. is staying, so there's no need. But I also think that him being out there, you know, every game it is valuable uh, for the Milwaukee Bucks. So good stuff. Cleveland again uh, on Friday night, and then you have New Orleans on Saturday. Um, as for that Cleveland game, I, it's somewhat house money um, because at least you have the split against the Cavs now. Um, you'd love to win this season series. So if it came down that the Bucks and Cavs had the same record, you have that over them, and which you don't have over Indiana. Um, and then also you get New Orleans on Saturday. They have not played the Pelicans this season. Pelicans are playing really well. Uh, Zion looks great. Hey, the Bucks, I don't think can steal Herb Jones, but potential Herb Jones showcase. Uh, I mean, Herb Jones would be a fucking dream. Um, if they got Herb Jones, like I, I will need new pants. Like we'll, we'll have to like, you know, we could put the Herb Jones highlights on, on Pornhub. Like that's, that's how much Herb Jones would, would definitely be like the guy for me in terms of the deadline. Uh, but anyways, uh, that's going to be a really good matchup. That was a really fun matchup actually. So two good games of Bucks basketball. Definitely looking forward to talking to both, talking with you about both of them on Monday's show. All right, let's move on to the Marquette Golden Eagles who were also in action on Wednesday night. It was interim bowl um, on Wednesday. So we had the Prunty thing, but also Marquette was playing DePaul who had their interim coach. Uh, Matt Brady took over for Tony Stubblefield. Uh, DePaul sort of restarted. Uh, they've been awful this year. And there's always the DLT, DLDT, do not lose to the poll. And I think a lot of Marquette fans were worried about this game. I was, I had a little nervousness myself, a little trepidation because, you know, the new coach bounce. It's a real thing. We saw it literally in the NBA last night. So it's like, all right, are, are they going to be able to sort of, you know, right this ship, be okay? And they were, and they took care of business in this game. And it was immediately, you know, what Marquette established. There was no funny business. They, they kind of let DePaul hang around a little bit, but DePaul, you know, kind of was just hitting absurd shots. They were just pulling shots directly out of their asshole. And sometimes that happens. You see that a lot. And so I, this game was a little closer than maybe it needed to be. Uh, we'll get into all this with the grades. But at the end of the day, Marquette handled their business. Marquette didn't get anybody hurt. And they had a pretty good offensive night. And they, you know, and I think that's important. And I, I think 
that, you know, that builds confidence. And there's things to take away from this that I think could help, you know, translate to the game against Seton Hall. And there was no look ahead to Seton Hall, which is a big game on Saturday. Uh, They just said, all right, let's get this win. And there was no funny business. And that to me is very impressive. That to me is as much of a veteran team that we've seen out of the Golden Eagles, I think all year, honestly. Like, I think the the two moments where we've really seen the veteran quote unquote leadership shine through was the game after Maui against Southern where they just dominated that basketball game after like a little, a slight slow start, right? And then this DePaul game where it's like, okay, every, it's kind of working against you. They're, they want to kind of have this moment to be like, all right, now we fired our coach and he was the problem. And now we knocked off, you know, the Big East champions of last year and got our first Big East win of the season. None of that shit happened. Uh, and Marquette was in control really the entire game. So let's get into the grades. Um, we, we did this for a little bit. Then we went away from it. We're going back for it. I said I was going to do the tablets. I was like, nah, fuck it. We're going to do this. I, I just think the tablets, you know, doing back-to-back doesn't, doesn't really work. So... We're going to do grades uh, A, B, C, D, and F. Um, we're going to do players. We're going to do storylines, things like that from this basketball game. An A to Oso Iguodara. Oso Iguodara has had an incredible stretch of basketball right now. He's playing really well. Uh, 19 points for Oso. He had 12 rebounds, 6 assists, near triple-double. He also had a couple blocks. He was basically a point center at some points of this game. Uh, running the offense and he's, he's capable to do it. And the guy is such a great passer and using him as a point guard on certain possessions is really tough for teams to defend. There are not teams in college basketball, not many of them. I don't even know if there is even one that have guys where they can deal with Oso outside of the, po- of the paint. Now, Oso is not a shooter. Um, that's definitely something that they don't have to necessarily respect Oso the shooter, but they have to respect the passer. So if they say go off, that just gives Oso this ability to find the open guy. And you started to see Marquette unleash some of that. And I think against a bad team like DePaul, you can kind of try shit. You can kind of mess around a little bit. And that's what they did. And I, I think they you can run possessions with through Oso Iguodara at the top of the key. I think that that is certainly on the table. I, I think that that is something that Marquette needs to look into. I think that's definitely something they need to continue to sort of develop. Um, and I, I was just very impressed with Iguodara. He continues to have just a really good Big East season. Uh, I think to me, he's my MVP of the Big East part of Marquette's schedule so far. Uh, he just, every night, it seems like he's doing stuff on both sides, both sides of the court. And his rebounding, I think, has improved. Um, and I, I, this is the big man development that you see with Shaka Smart. Shaka Smart did this with Jackson Hayes. He did this with Mo Bamba. He did this with Jared Allen. Those guys were all lottery picks under Shaka Smart. And I think Oso, Oso right now in mock drafts is right now 19 or 20. I would not be surprised if Oso finds his way into the into the lottery. I think that he just does so many things that an NBA team would want. And I know we're not necessarily, we're talking about Marquette, but like, I just think you're going to continue to see his playmaking. I think that we're, we're on the cusp of something special with him. 
And maybe we're already there, but I, I, I just, I've been very impressed with Oso on both sides of the basketball. Uh, kind of continuing with that theme, the Oso and Tyler uh, pick and roll. Uh, Tyler Kolek, I actually didn't have like a, a grade for him in here. He played well. I, I guess I would give it a B in terms of his performance, but really the headline was just their pick and roll ability is just so fun to watch. And the connection that those two have is as good of anybody in college basketball. You know, Kolek found Oso a couple different times. Uh, Oso found Kolek. Like, they are just really well connected. And whatever happened in the, you know, the first part of this year and the blip that this team had, I think it's over. I think you're seeing this team, you know, play, you know, more connected basketball and not necessarily disjointed and everybody on the same page, everybody on the same mission. And I think it started with Kolek and Iguodara. And I think Kolek played really well in this game. I, I said B, I'm going to go A. Uh, let's just, let's do it. I mean, he, he deserves it, right? 22 points. He had three three-pointers made. He had seven assists in this one. Um, he had a little bit of foul trouble early on, but like, it wasn't, it wasn't much of an issue. And, you know, played 34 minutes, which actually I think is low-key important. Uh, Tyler's been playing a ton. I know that, you know, he's like, oh, fuck, I'll play all of 40. I think it's important, though, that you you give him these breathers. I think the fact that Marquette's schedule is going to tighten up here a little bit, um, and that's going to test their depth uh, for sure. And so I think giving Kolick a little bit of breath, a little bit of breather, because that scene all game is not going to be easy on Saturday. Um, really good, really good as well. So I, I thought it was a, a solid game uh, from Kolick. Uh, he kind of picked it up as the you know second half moved on. Uh, it was a little slow starting in that second half, but then really kind of came back with a fury. So uh, the pick and roll was impressive. The just the way Tyler played again was good. Uh, also other A's, uh, taking care of business, we kind of mentioned that, uh, just making sure that we weren't fucking around here. They play their food a little bit, but I, I think that's somewhat expected against a bad team. It's hard to just lay the hammer down, especially when they're re-energized uh, like DePaul is. Uh, so I, I, I just still was impressed with the way Marquette handled their biz. And then their three-point shooting, uh, really been an issue. Uh, for the Golden Eagles, this was certainly a get-right game in that category. They were 15 of 33 from three, shot 45% from outside the arc. Definitely one of their best three-point shooting games of the season. Just had all opportunities to rise and fire. They had a lot of open looks. They knocked them down. I, this could be a springboard for Marquette. I hope that they don't fall in love with it and not every team is going to be DePaul. But Seton Hall, the way they defend, they give you a lot of opportunities to shoot threes. I think that that is a good sort of springboard to keep sort of building the momentum of the three-point shot. Uh, but, you know, they had great they had great looks all night. Uh, Joplin, Kolick, uh, Ben Gold, all, you know, hitting multiple three-point shots. Stevie Mitchell also, you know, had threes, but they, they were there. Um, and if, you know, the team's given to you and you're hitting them, take them like they had as many threes as they had twos but I, I think just you put this game juxtaposed with the game on Saturday it just shows you that Marquette can beat you in different ways and I, I think we saw that on full display on the, the last two nights and with the three-point shooting speaking of David Joplin he gets a B for me uh, Joplin had a very good offensive output game We're, we've kind of been waiting for this game from Joplin 21 points all from either the three or the free throw line. 
I think that might be a season high for Drop. Uh, he only played 26 minutes, which actually I think is okay. That's not a problem that Joplin played last minutes. I actually think maybe that is a good thing for Joplin, you know, going forward. Uh, and yeah, 21 for Jop. That let's see here. Yeah, that is a season high for him. A season high for threes, absolutely. Uh, he had five against UCLA. And he played really well against DePaul last year at this stadium. Uh, he was certainly feeling it in that game. He had 28 and eight threes. So he's, there's something about the wind trust rims or the sight lines there that he loves. Uh, and, and that's great. And maybe this is a springboard for David Joplin. Uh, it has not necessarily been a great year for Jop, uh, but maybe this is sort of the start of it. Now, the foul he had, right at the end of the first half uh, was terrible. Uh, it didn't really end up impacting anything. I think it was a bad call, especially when Tyler Kolick has a, a guy in his grill. Like it is, he's like, the guy is absolutely not giving Tyler any space to shoot the three. I think if you did like the NBA, and I think that's a rule in college too. Like if you don't give the guy space on a three pointer, it's a fucking foul. And they don't call that, he makes it anyways. Then we call the foul on Joplin. Now, I, I still think it's on Joplin for not just giving him space. Like, who gives a fuck? Let this guy shoot the three. But David Joplin obviously didn't feel that way. So I, I do I, I do hate that. Uh, that's why he gets a B. But still, maybe this is the one that kind of gets Jop screwed back. B to Stevie Mitchell. Uh, I thought Stevie played pretty well. Um, I, I, he continues to be such a connector. Uh, doing things that aren't necessarily in the box score. I think his stretch of basketball has been really good and been needed uh, with Chase Ross and Sean Jones being out. You needed Stevie to level up, and I think he's doing just that. Um, and I, I, I've just loved what I've seen from him on both sides of the ball. Um, it's been it's been really you know special to watch. He won 27 on his offensive rating. As I mentioned earlier, hit a couple threes. He also had four rebounds. He had four assists. Like doing a lot of the little things um, that that you want out of him. Uh, ben Gold gets a B also. Uh, he hit three threes. Ben Gold's shot, I feel like, has looked better. Um, it's not as flat. Um, certainly, see, Stevie also, uh, I should point out that too. Like Stevie's shot is getting better. Um, and I, I think that that you're seeing him, you know, have a little bit more of a flowy shot. Like it's definitely a better looking shot than what we've seen in the past. And same goes for Ben Gold. And Ben Gold uh, is playing, you know, it plays well against these bad teams. We're still not necessarily seeing Ben Gold against the good teams. And look, that's okay. I think it's helping him though to play with Oso Iguodara. I think that that gives him sort of this like mental comfort blanket, if you will, that he's like, okay, I don't have to do it all. I don't have to like be the rebounder. I don't have to block the shots. Like I have Oso with you. I do think that that is a slower version of Marquette, but they do have enough team speed as long as I, I think and I'd have to look at the lineups, but like, I don't necessarily want Gold, Joplin, and Oso. That's too slow. That's like too slow. You can't do that. But if you have Gold, uh, Oso, Tyler, Stevie, Cam, that's that's solid. I can I can fuck with that. Like I, I certainly can. Or one of the freshmen, Lowry, Norman. Like I I think that that's okay. So 
I, I think that that does help Ben Gold and be interesting to see against the better teams if Ben Gold, you know, does that. Because that's been the bugaboo against Gold. It's like he does well against bad teams, but he doesn't necessarily have it against good teams. So we'll see against Seton Hall, I guess. Uh, I have no C's uh, on this one, but I do have a couple. I do have some D's. Um, definitely DePaul's shooting. I uh, mentioned it earlier. They hit some dumb fucking shots in this, fo- in this football, in this basketball game. Um, and they were, what, 11 to 24 from three. Uh, they, yeah, they hit some really wild uh, three point shots. Jalen Terry uh, with six of them uh, in this game. And he just, yeah, I, I could not believe, you know, some of the shots that were falling. Also, Churchill Bass is maybe one of my favorite, you know, basketball names that I've seen this season. Uh, but yeah, absurd from DePaul. Turnovers were also a little bit of an issue. Marquette had 13. I think they actually had more turnovers than DePaul. Uh, yeah, they did. 13 turnovers for the Golden Eagles. Definitely not what you want. Uh, but the reason why I'm, I'm not putting that as an F is I just wonder where they try and shit, right? Were they, were they kind of just trying things to see like, hey, does this work? And then, okay, it doesn't. All right, move on. Um, no one, I guess the only like big offender turnover-wise was Joplin with three, uh, but, and Zade Lowry had two. Uh, so like there were some bad moments turnover-wise, but you know, like, it's it's okay. Um F, Zade Lowry, <laughs> Zade Lowry, I've trained. I was like, oh, this guy could be a starter. Like this guy could get there. And then uh, shout out my guy. I think it was like Marquette Good uh, was his name. Was like, hey man, maybe that's a little intense. And kind of was like, yeah, Jop's just in a weird spot. And he's right. I was maybe a little too excited about Zade Lowry's ceiling uh, this year. Uh, but Lowry definitely had a, a, a one to forget. Uh, only played 16 minutes in this game. Uh, did not score, uh, missed a couple threes, had some two really bad turnovers uh, as Marquette had kind of lost a 18-point first-half lead. Uh, Lowry kind of had something to do with that. Uh, so that's, but that's okay. Like, you're going to have those games. Um, so that's fine. Uh, Jeff Anderson's crew was awful. I, Jeff Anderson works way too much. Uh, like, can Jeff Anderson just take a break? Like, can Jeff Anderson just have a day where he just hangs out and it doesn't look like he's trying to get to Paul plus 18 home. Like, like, can we just fucking settle down? Uh, but yeah, it was not a great officiated game at all. Uh, Cam Jones was rough. Um, this is probably one of the worst uh, Cam Jones games we've had in a while. Uh, only scored three points. Uh, was the only guy that really didn't hit well from three. Was one of five. Uh, and was in foul trouble really the entire game. Only played 24 minutes. Um, look, guys have bad nights here and there. Um, it has been a little bit of a rough stretch here for Jones, even with, you know, sort of the Marquette playing better. And that it hasn't exactly correlated to Jones. He did play well in that Villanova game, but really that's been the only one in the Big E season that Cam Jones has played like super well. In. Like, you know, he, he was okay against Seton Hall. I missed, no, nah, not really. Like he missed... Yeah, it has not been a good Big East season for Cam Jones. And he, you know, he had over 10 attempts in three straight games. Now that that has came down a little bit. Uh, we'll see. You know, we'll see if maybe, you know, he's playing too much, if there's something else going on, uh, if he has battling a little bit of an injury. But hopefully we can get the non-con Cam Jones back. Non-con Cam was great. Um, let's hope that that guy can, can reappear for the end of the season. All right, that does it for today's show. Um, We will be back tomorrow with Mitch. um, So stay tuned for that. Uh, And we will be back then on Monday for a solo show uh, recapping the weekend. We'll talk 
Bucks against Cavs and Pelicans. We'll also talk about the NFC and AFC championship games. We'll also talk about Marquette Seton Hall. So stay tuned for all of that. I appreciate all the love and support, and we'll see you tomorrow. Take care. Have a good one. Bye.